The following is a presentation of Renfrew Baptist Church, a community of faith that exists to create obedient followers of Jesus Christ who love God and love people. And, uh, today we're going to just be focusing on one verse that uh, talks about the whole dynamic of Advent. It's Matthew chapter 1, verse 17. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be here. I thank you for this worship time. This has been so meaningful. And uh, worship just just cleanses us. It purifies us and it enriches us in so many ways. And it's uh, so healthy to be just be, be able to experience this. And we pray the same also for your word, that it would be a cleansing, enriching thing in our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was in high school, Crescent Heights, way back, my best marks were in chemistry, if you can believe it, for grade 10 and 11. And then something happened in grade 12 that totally changed my life. English 30. One of the most amazing experiences I've ever had. In fact, it was so transforming that... Uh, I took my bachelor's in English literature at the university, which when you graduate enables you to work at Bubbles. But uh, somehow God directed me into the ministry and I found that what I'd learned was actually very beneficial because what happened in English 30 that continued through university and then culminated in ministry was just uh, developing a real love for words, paying attention to how we use them and misuse them and I've noticed that there's a widespread favoritism and even a bit of linguistic prejudice in the English language, especially when it comes to the active and passive verbs. For example, in the Bible, everybody focuses on the active verbs. Repent, obey, encourage one another, love one another, make disciples, overcome evil with good, do unto others. These verbs create curiosity, they stimulate our imagination, they provoke discussion, they inspire motivation. No wonder they monopolize our attention. We could call them caffeine verbs. Go for it, let's do this. But what about the low-caffeine passive verbs in the Bible? Like hope, trust, be still, wait, listen. Not so much. For example, would you rather listen or would you prefer to talk? Someone said, the only reason anyone ever listens to you is because they know it's their turn next. It's true. We like the active ver verbs. We would rather talk than listen. Wouldn't you want to be up here right now? Well, thank you for listening. This morning, I'd like to propose that the passive verbs of Scripture are just as important as the active ones. And so on this first Sunday of Advent, we're going to focus on what it means to wait and to hope. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 17, we read, Thus there were 14 generations in all, from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to Christ. That's a long time. 
And all that time, God's people were waiting. Now, in North America, we are currently afflicted with some very serious weight problems, but not just in the area of critical mass, also in the time-space discontinuum. We don't like to wait. It drives us crazy. It's a waste of our valuable time. Fortunately, technology has liberated us from the burden of waiting in many areas. For example, Google has given us access to all the information in the world. No, make that in the universe. We don't need phone books anymore. We don't use maps. Who still has an encyclopedia? We don't need any of that because in Google we trust. Google provides us with instant answers to life's most puzzling questions. How many stars are there in the universe? What's the population of Canada? Where is the nearest Domino's pizza? All these answers are available in less than a second. You don't have to wait. Nobody wants to wait. It's so uncivilized. But the problem is, there is no high-speed version of Christianity. Although salvation can happen in just one decision, Lord, I'm a sinner, and I can't save myself. Only you can do that, so I surrender my life to your control, forgive my sins, and come into my life. Amen. That's salvation, and it doesn't take very long. But in the years that follow, there are many delays. There's, there are seasons of dormancy. There's times of drought. There's even those dreadful dark nights of the soul. In other words, there's a lot of waiting for those who walk by faith. Psalm 119, verses 81 to 84, the writer says, My soul faints with longing. My eyes fail, looking for your promise. When will you comfort me? How long must your servant wait? I think we've all experienced that as well. So let me ask you, what are you waiting for? In the life of faith, there's a lot of waiting. The only question is, is it worth it? That's the ultimate question for the Advent season. Was it worth waiting for? You see, there were 14 generations from Abraham to David. And then another 14 from David to the exile. And then another 14 from the exile to Christ. Think of the Old Testament era. 2,000 years from Abraham to the advent. 20 centuries of waiting for God's salvation. That's mind-boggling. How did they do it? If you look at Matthew chapter 1, we have a list of people from the waiting room. Aminadab, Zerubbabel, Eliezer. 2,000 years of names. It's like, where's Waldo? All these people were born and died without ever seeing God's plan of salvation materialize. So what happened to these people? Did they get discouraged and give up? Well, surprisingly, the answer is no. God's chosen people kept waiting because they were focused on the future. In fact, they persevered because they had superpowers. Actually, they had something greater than superpowers. They had supernatural powers. And it's one of our passive verbs. They had hope. 
all those who lived in the Old Testament era looked forward to the fullness of time when God's plan of salvation would finally be revealed and made retroactive to all those who had hope, all those who had believed in God's promises. In the book of Romans, Paul talks about it this way. Romans chapter 5, verse 3, and verse 5. And hope, he says, does not disappoint us, because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he has given us. God has given us a hope that does not disappoint. And that's all we really want. We want a hope that will eventually be realized. Because this hope is a lot more than positive thinking. And it's not the generic no-name brand that we use on a daily basis. You know, I could hope that my Kodak stock will someday turn a profit. Uh, I hope that I won't have to get my van fixed. Maybe I'll just hit a, a bump the right way and it will seal my leaks and realign my rods. And I, th I really hope the Hamilton Tiger Cats are going to win the Grey Cup today. As you can tell, I live in a dream world. It's pathetic. Some hopes are absolutely ridiculous. But it's still better to have hope than to feel hopeless. Incidentally, the Tiger Cats are not in the Grey Cup, so in case you're wondering. Hope is what makes us optimistic, and that's good. Are you an optimist? Someone said, an optimist invented the airplane. The pessimist invented the parachute. And I would add to that the realist was the guy who designed those spacious bathrooms. Or maybe it was a surrealist, I don't know. But it's good to have an optimistic attitude. The only problem is that great expectations can lead to even greater disappointments. In fact, one author entitled his book, I feel so much better now that I've given up hope. Hope can hurt, hope can break our hearts. Proverbs 13, 12 says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Hope is very risky. That's why we can save ourselves a lot of grief by discarding any false hopes and reinvest our expectations in the promises of God's word because that's the only certainty that we have. That hope will not disappoint because the outcome is fixed. But you have to wait for it. There were 14 generations from Abraham to David, 14 more from David to the exile, and another 14 from the exile to Christ. In the Old Testament era, the waiting list got longer and longer, and it wasn't easy. But they survived all of their trials and tribulations because they placed their hope in a sure thing, the promises of God's word. Think of Joshua. Joshua had an absolutely impossible challenge. He had to lead the Hebrews into the heart of enemy territory to face the fiercest warriors on the planet, to confront those towering giants that had terrified the previous generation, all because God had promised this land to them. Well, at the end of his life, Joshua added up the score 
and declared this, Joshua 23, 14. He's told the people, you know with all your heart and soul that not one, not one of all the good promises the Lord your God gave you has failed. Every promise has been fulfilled. Not one has failed. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that worth investing your life into? Not one of his promises will fail. Well, that's where we put our hope. Philippians 1.6 says, He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. That's a promise. So what's the point spread on that? That promise has, promise has what, an 86% probability? No. It's a sure thing. This is a hope that will never disappoint. But we have to wait for it. Meanwhile, we face tremendous challenges. There may be crises that we have to deal with that are larger than life. There may be circumstances that shake our faith. Sometimes we feel like giving up. In Romans 5, Paul says this, We rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope, and hope does not disappoint. That's interesting. Instead of destroying our hope, suffering can actually strengthen that hope. That's what happened to the people in the Old Testament. They suffered, but they didn't give up, and they found that they developed a perseverance that actually strengthened their hope that came out of suffering. I mean, it was incredible. It was 14 generations from Abraham to David. You'd think that by then God would have showed us the fullness of his plan of salvation, but no, they had to wait another 14 generations to the exile. Well, that would have been a good time to do it, but no, they had to wait another 14 generations until finally... Jesus was born. In the Old Testament, they waited all that time for God to send a Savior. And during that time, there was a lot of buzz. Rumors were spreading. There were many different opinions. How was this going to happen? What was this going to look like? Would God send 12 legions of angels to impose martial law and, and police the planet? Would he send someone like Moses who would demonstrate God's sovereignty by signs and wonders and terrible judgments? Would it be someone like Elijah who could call down fire from heaven? Many, many different ideas and opinions. When Jesus asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? They said, well, there's some that say you're John the Baptist or you're like Jeremiah or Elijah or one of the prophets. There were so many different expectations there Hope was aimed in many different directions, but it was the prophets who had to align all of these expectations towards a single target. And Isaiah was the one who gave them that sneak preview. Here's the trailer, Isaiah 9-6. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor. The mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. That's quite a resume. Somebody should write a song about that. If they could handle it. All that God intended to do. All that he promised. 
would depend on the birth of that child. That was God's answer to Satan's dominion, to the domination of sin, to the reign of terror that is death. All of that would be resolved by this child that was born, this son that was given. All hope would be aimed at him. So, how did it work out? Did that hope disappoint? Well, let's be honest. Yes and no. The problem was that Jesus was not exactly what they were expecting. He was not like Moses or Elijah or Joshua. He did not defeat the Romans and make Israel great again. Jesus had very little effect on the political situation or their economic troubles. And Jesus did not necessarily improve their daily circumstances. So to all those who had unrealistic hopes, Jesus was a disappointment. And that disillusionment metastasized and ended in a bloody rejection that we call the crucifixion. John 1.11 says, He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. They were disappointed. Isaiah predicted it. He said, He will be despised and rejected. He will be despised and we will esteem him not. Those who had false hopes were disappointed. But those who had invested their hope in God's word and his promises, to them Jesus was beyond their greatest expectations. I mean, this was absolutely unbelievable. Jesus told his disciples in Luke chapter 10, verse 23 and 24, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. All those generations didn't see it. Abraham, David. Blessed are the eyes that see what you see, for I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see, but did not see it. And they wanted to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. This is what the what all the godly people of the Old Testament had been waiting for. But they died before their hope was realized. They never saw it, but they believed it. They waited until the day a devout and righteous man named Simeon, led by the Holy Spirit, found Mary and Joseph in the temple, and he took their newborn baby, and he said, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, You now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation. For 2,000 years, all of those people wanted to see. And Simeon was the one who was holding it in his hands. And he said, I now see your salvation. He could see it. Finally, it had come. They just didn't know that God would actually give them so much more than their greatest expectations. Because this child that was born, this son that was given, was the one whose name was above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow, every tongue confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. No one saw that coming. No one expected that much. And you know, that's how it is with biblical hope. God will not only not disappoint, but God doesn't just give us the bare minimum. 
He will give us exceeding abundantly above anything we can think or ask. But you have to wait for it. You see, it was 14 generations from Abraham to David and 14 more from David to the exile and then another 14 from the exile to Christ. That's a lot of waiting. Man, isn't it, aren't we fortunate that we don't have to still be waiting to see what God is going to do to save us? We have a tremendous advantage over the people who lived in the shadow lands of the Old Testament. They needed hope to survive. But we know exactly what God did to save us. We know about the cross. We live in the power surge of the resurrection. It is so much easier for us than for those who lived before the child that was born and the son that was given. There are no more questions. There's no more suspense. And yet, for some reason, the New Testament still uses the word hope to talk about our lives. Even after the fact, hope is not obsolete. It hasn't become irrelevant. It remains a vital skill because God's people are still waiting. We still need a hope that does not disappoint because 2,000 years after the advent, there's still a lot of unfinished business. There's still many outstanding promises that we still haven't seen even after all this time, we have to wait for it. I wonder how many of us are waiting for God to answer our prayers. How long has it been? 10 years? 20 years? 30 years? Maybe we're waiting for life to get better. We're waiting for revival. We're waiting for a divine intervention in our family. Many of us are still waiting. There's a lot of waiting in the Christian life. It was before Christ and it will still be for us who live after the advent. We still have to wait. Someone once reminded me about a problem they thought we had in our church that was just getting worse and they were very upset. And they said, well, you're doing nothing. And I said, no, that's not true. I'm doing something. Right now, I'm waiting. I'm waiting for God to make his move. Waiting is something. And it could even be the most important thing we do. It's definitely not a waste of time. Because waiting, as you well know, is not easy. It requires enormous energy. Waiting means you haven't given up yet. Waiting requires courage, especially when you see a situation getting worse. You don't pull the ripcord and you stay in the plane. In fact, waiting is so difficult that it will not work unless it's empowered by the hope that does not disappoint. Waiting will absolutely drive you crazy unless you're waiting with a hope that does not disappoint. And that really narrows it all down to a single target. The problem is that our hope is often invested in all kinds of diversified stock. 
We aim it in so many different directions. We put place hope in our doctors, our politicians, in various experts. We place hope in our church, our pastors, in our families, at the stock market, the next lottery ticket, e-harmony, whatever. We have hope going out in all these different directions. And our lines of hope sometimes get twisted and snarled. What we need to do is untangle them and aim them all at the only hope, the only sure hope that exists in this fallen world. I love 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. It says, no matter how many promises God has made, no matter how many promises, the Bible is full of his promises. He says, no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. Isn't that tremendous? All of God's promises. So through Jesus, 67% of God's promises will be fulfilled. That would be pretty good. Who could ask for more? But it's even better than that. In the Old Testament era, all of God's promises were fulfilled through the child that was born and the son that was given. In the New Testament era, it's still all about Jesus. All that God is doing, all that he offers us is found in Jesus Christ. You don't have to go looking around for it. Is it over here? Is it over there? Jesus is our only sure hope. He always has been and he always will be. So if you're waiting for something, if you're waiting for God to answer your prayer, if you're waiting for some divine intervention, make sure you're not wasting your time. Wait with a hope that will not disappoint. Nothing else is worth waiting for. And just as the Old Testament generation waited for the first coming of the Savior, we now wait for the second coming. Titus chapter 2, verse 13 says, While we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're waiting just like they did. We also have to wait for it. But what if we're not ready yet? I mean, heaven can wait, right? We've got plans. We've got dreams. God, you can't come before the great cup. I want to find out what happened. You know? And what about my bucket list? I mean, some of you are, are so young that you haven't even found the bucket yet. There's so much of life to be lived. The blessed hope, yeah, it's for those who are kind of burned out and burdened by life. Well, in my judgment, the blessed hope is not just the default setting for pessimists. It's for optimists too. Because no matter how good your life is right now, no matter how successful you are, no matter how happy you are, God has promised you so much more than that. This is not it. We're not there yet. God has so much more than that. And all of the promises that he's made are going to be fulfilled, and they're all going to be fulfilled in Jesus Christ. That's why we're waiting for him to return. So every day before that, we will enjoy the dividends of that hope through Jesus Christ. And when he returns, we will become the major beneficiaries of God's eternal riches in Christ Jesus. We'll get everything that God has. We are the major beneficiaries. 
that's better than anything on your bucket list. I mean, in heaven, even the biggest bucket will be overflowing after five minutes. And just think of it. The very worst day you're ever going to have in heaven, the worst day you'll have in heaven, will be immeasurably better than the best day you've ever had here on earth. Just imagine if there was a country where there was no death or mourning or crying or pain. If there was a place like that here on earth, everybody in the world would want to move there. It would be overrun by illegal aliens. Paging President Trump, paging President Trump. Well, our next home will have no more death or crying or mourning or pain. And no one's going to complain. And no one's going to talk about the weather. I can't wait to get there. That's amazing. And there's going to be pleasures at God's right hand forevermore. And nothing we have experienced in this life will prepare us for that. That's why these bodies won't even work. Because if we took these bodies and put them at God's right hand, they would just absolutely explode because it would be too intense. We need new bodies, resurrected bodies that have a far greater capacity for joy. That's why the second coming is where we need to be focused. It should mean as much to us as the first coming meant to the people in the Old Testament. And the good news is that it's right on schedule. This is a hope that will not disappoint. But you have to wait for it. Father, we thank you so much that your word is so clear in showing us what you have prepared for us. And we just, uh, our mind just absolutely is overwhelmed by the thought of one day being able to see Jesus and being changed into his very likeness in the twinkling of an eye and that we will be with you for all eternity. Lord, that is the only hope that we need. Everything else is secondary, but that is the the one thing we want to place all of our hope in because we know that will never disappoint. So Lord, just help us to wait. Help us to learn how to wait, even as the people in the Old Testament waited. Because one day we will see. Just as they waited for salvation, we wait for your return. Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. We're waiting. Amen. This has been a presentation of Renfrew Baptist Church, a community of faith that exists to create obedient followers of Jesus Christ who love God and love people.